Hi, this is Jamie Mason Cohen, and I am the host of Tech Canada's The Leadership Standard, where we explore real stories from leaders from across the business spectrum. It's an intimate discovery of how they shift between triumphs, struggles, failures, disruptions, and future opportunities on a daily basis. Operating from a philosophy that leaders are made and not born, this podcast reveals how achievers accelerate through the challenges, win both at work and at home, and lead with confidence while accomplishing their goals, which is why I am thrilled to introduce our guest today, Simon Lancaster. Now, Simon first became a speechwriter in the late 1990s, working for members of Tony Blair's cabinet in England. Today, he writes speeches for the CEOs of some of the biggest companies in the world, including Unilever, HSBC, and Intercontinental Hotels Group. He is the author of the definitive guide of speechwriting, Speechwriting, the Expert Guide, the award-winning Winning Minds, Secrets from the Language of Leadership, and You Are Not Human, How Words Kill. And today, meaning it's out now, his book, Connect, is available. Now, Simon's also an executive fellow of Henley Business School and lectures at both Cambridge and Oxford Universities. He regularly appears as a media pundit on oratory, and his Speak Like a Leader TEDx talk has been watched more than 3 million times on YouTube. Now, I've invited Simon because he's impacted me personally as a speaker. I have used and applied what he shares in these books, which I have on my Kindle and on Audible, and I'm so grateful that he's made it live from Istanbul, Turkey, where he is currently now with a client. Simon, welcome to the Leadership Standard. Jamie, it's great to be joining you. I should just make clear, I'm not actually with my client right now. As you can <laughs> see, I'm in my hotel bedroom. That would be a bit inappropriate. Um, <laughs> but yes, I am indeed in Istanbul working with one of my CEOs right now. Wonderful. So I'd also like to welcome the community of business leaders. This could be key executives, chairs of tech groups. This could be a leader in any field or people aspiring to be a speaker or a workshop facilitator. You're going to find something highly valuable in this session. So Simon, I'd love to jump right into it and ask you, what are the foundations of the secrets of the language of leadership? Well, for me, it dates back thousands of years, actually. As you mentioned, I'm in Istanbul today, and I've been wandering around some of the sites here, which date, it's a wonderful city, actually, highly recommended. Um, and some of the things here date back 2,500 years. Um, there's some wonderful obelisks that date back that far. And likewise, to ancient Greece, when rhetoric was something which was taught in every school, it was a core part of a good education. And that, to me, is still where the foundations of great leadership communication comes back to. And in particular, the three-legged stool that Aristotle came up with when he talked about ethos, logos and pathos. Ethos is the credibility of the speaker. Logos is the logic or apparent logic of their argument. And even Aristotle himself said it was only the illusion of logic that mattered. And pathos the emotions of the audience. So ethos, logos, pathos, character, reason, emotion. As a real short summary and as an entry point to what great communication looks like, that for me is the ultimate. 
And when you're talking about ethos, logos, and pathos within a modern setting, is that one component or foundational part of speaking that hasn't changed? Yeah, it hasn't at all because it connects perfectly with the human psychology. And of course, the human brain has not changed at all over the last 2,500 years fundamentally. And so it still speaks to those critical parts of the brain, the instinctive brain, you know, that part of the brain that determines whether or not we trust people in a blink of an eye. That's what ethos is. The emotional brain, which releases all of these powerful chemicals into our bloodstream, like cortisol, serotonin, all of that stuff. That's pathos. And lastly, the logos, the logical part of the brain. And now as people like Daniel Kahneman and many other social psychologists have written about, you know, we're not really, as human beings, we're not as logical as we like to think we are. So anyone who starts any argument or any presentation, speech, based on logic is is bound to fail because that's not the way the human brain works. As long as the people you're trying to win over are A, human beings, and B, have normally functioning brains, then you want to be starting by speaking to instincts and emotions. And frankly, if you get people's instincts and emotions behind you, they're going to nod along with anything you say. And what I found fascinating in your book on speech writing, which I've now made it a yearly habit to read at least once a year to dive into the fundamentals to make sure that uh, I have a solid foundation as a speaker and as a workshop facilitator. Uh, you mentioned something which was if you have one of those or two of those, but not all three of ethos, mm. pathos, and logos, then the audience is going to feel this misalignment or this disconnect. And it's it's essential to make sure that in your talk or in your presentation, you tap into all three of those. Why is that the case? That's right, because I, I think every audience or every person on a training course constantly have three questions going on in their mind. And the first one is, do I trust this person? Are they worth listening to? That's ethos. Secondly, are they right or do they sound right? And that's logos. And lastly, could I give a shit? <laughs> and you see, if there's a no to any one of those questions, then boom, you know, the attention is going to fall, the eyelids are going to go down and the phone is going to come up and they're on Facebook type in about how they're on a boring training course or listening to a boring speech or whatever. So you need each of the three. It's like the three cherries on the fruit machine. Because it's so essential, this three-legged stool that Aristotle came up with all those years ago, and that's still relevant today. Before we move on, I'd love to hear an example of emotion that you might want to bring in, that logical component and that credibility component. An example of what it looks like in practice. If yeah. Give me... Yeah, so like a business leader is given a speech or whatever, say a business CEO is given the classic uh, vision speech, right? And so um, they, they all they really want to do is talk about their strategy to 2030. But you're like, right, okay, if you s just go straight into that, it's going to leave people cold. You've got to warm them up a bit. So let's start by speaking to the instinctive brain. So let's just start with a gag, shall we? And I mean, there's all sorts of 
jokes that I've got. I mean, literally, I've got hundreds of jokes catalogued, which I'll just throw at my principals until finally they're like, oh, I like that one. I can use that one. And it needs to match their kind of style, their delivery. But maybe, you know, just start with a joke, a little icebreaker. It's a bit like cracking an egg open, you know, then you can start cooking. And then you might go into a story. Now, the story might be a personal story, which connects with the point of the strategy. So it may be that, you know, you extrapolate from that the strategy is fundamentally about ambition or the long term or about making a difference to the world or about connecting or about visibility or whatever it is. And then you're like, right, okay, we need a story to that theme. And so then that's your pathos. So that's how that ethos, pathos, logos thing could look. Start with a gag, then move into a story, and then you can start talking about the real stuff. And if you do that, if you just start with a joke, start with a speech, it then is it's like you're just going downhill, you know, whereas otherwise it can feel, if you just don't go straight into the strategic plan, it's like you're pushing water uphill. Mm. You mentioned uh, in, in one of your books, you cannot be a great leader without being a great communicator. I think it might've been in Winning mm -hmm. Minds. Why is that? Well, I think, let's first give everyone who's not a great communicator the opt out. You know, you can be great at all sorts of other things without necessarily being great at communication. You can be a good manager, you can be a good engineer, you can be a good strategist, but leadership is fundamentally about inspiring people, influencing people, energizing people, all of which places a premium on communication, which is why no matter what sphere of life you're looking at, whether you're looking at politics, business, social affairs, we see time and time again that it's communication, which is the difference between the great and the not so great. If you're not able to inspire, influence, energize people, you simply can't lead people. You might have leader in your title. It might describe you as a team leader. But without those things, people are not really going to follow. And, you know, the acid test is just you flip it around and think about the people that you've worked for in, in your life. And those people who you would go the extra mile for. And I bet you any money that they were great communicators, that they let you in. They opened up to you. They showed their vulnerability. They were authentic with you. You knew their stories. You knew where they were coming from. And therefore, you'd been able to connect with them. And because you had that connection, you would go the extra mile. Yeah. And, and one of the things that I took away overall in the bigger picture of your books that seems to be a common thread, which actually ties into what our show is, where leaders are made, not born. Communication mm. is also something that can be worked on. You can practice it. You can be more effective if you have certain skill sets. And could you touch on three principles of effective communication? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I love that point that this is something that can be learned. Too often we, we have that idea that people are just born with the gift of the gab. And I think one of the things that helps me actually connect with my CEO clients is this really didn't come naturally to me. I learned it and studied it. And I used to be terrified of um, speaking in public, absolutely terrified. I remember um, when I first started working in government and going to these big meetings where you'd go round the table and I'd be waiting for my turn to talk. And I can remember holding the glass in my hand and literally watching it tremble while waiting for my 
turned to speak. This was when I was in my early 20s. And I've been able to overcome it. And now I do, I've done free TED Talks and, you know, I'm often given keynotes around the world and I love it. I just love it. You know, I don't get nervous anymore. I get excited. <laughs> it's the way that I would, um, it's the way that I would put it. But yes, yeah, sorry, that was just meandering my way to answering your question, which was about the three principles of good speech writing. So they, these are three flips round, I think, head flips. Uh, for for people where it turns on its head what you might think is good communication. So the first of these is that the audience is more important than the speaker. The real measure of the success of a speech is not how smug the speaker feels afterwards as they're being driven away in their chauffeur-driven car. Rather, it's in what the audience is saying afterwards as they go for the coffee break and people are saying, what did you think of so-and-so speech? It's what do they say then? So start everything with your audience. Who are they? Why are they there? What do they want to get out of your talk? Make those the things that you speak to, rather than thinking just purely about what you want to get across. So that's the first principle. The second is that emotions are more powerful than logic. And that's a simple matter of biological facts, that the emotional part of our brains is is much more powerful than the logical part of the brain. And once we've got like these hormones going, oxytocin, cortisol, it reduces our capacity for rational thought. So hence, you know, when you're winning people over, you really want to be making that emotional connection. And the third principle is a very simple, less is more. You know, and so we keep boiling stuff down. And this is, I've seen this whilst I've been a speechwriter. That I think when I started, the average keynote was clearly 40 minutes. And then with TED, it came down to 18 minutes. And then with COVID and people doing videos, now a lot of corporate best practices kind of like, let's get this in less than 90 seconds. So <laughs> we're now back at Gettysburg Address you know, kind of standard. We seem to have gone full circle. Um, so they're the three principles. Audience, more important than speaker. Emotions, more powerful than logic. Less is more. I'd love to learn a little more about one and three from your perspective. So in getting to know the audience, the audience is more important. When you're working mm -hmm. with a corporate client, what are some of the, the questions or some of the guidelines you help them through research, through uh, digging, to help them empathize or get deeper into the mindset of that audience? Well, it depends. It depends what's available. Sometimes I'll be being briefed by the director of communications and they will literally present me with that much information about the audience, <laughs> whether it's public audience or whether that's some insight into the current mood, you know, employee engagement index or whatever it is. Um, so sometimes it can be based on, on more rational research like that. A lot of the time, you know, it, it can be about asking the CEO to visualize a member of the audience. And so if they're giving a speech to their staff, I'll say, well, look, why don't you tell me about someone you've met in the company recently who was a bit pissed off, you know, um, and then describe them to me. And then we're, we've got a picture. And as we start crafting the speech, we can be saying, well, what, what's Bob going to think of this? Or what's Sarah going to think about that? Whoever our um, imagined audience 
member was. But I think starting yourself with like the cynical audience member who doesn't really give a shit, you know, <laughs> and, and visualize them and let's have a conversation with them. Um, because otherwise, and I think a lot of CEOs do this, they're imagining while they're thinking about their talk that they're just speaking to the 5% of the company that are hyper-engaged, hyper-keen, you know, hyper-enthusiastic about everything that the company is doing. And that's that's futile. I mean, that is like preaching to the converted. You're going to miss 95% of people. Far better to have a conversation with the 5 10 20% at the bottom of the company because if you you're able to pull them up, you're going to get the whole company coming with you. Mm. I, yeah, I hear that. I hear that speaking to envisioning who, not necessarily the naysayers or those who are cynical or highly skeptical. How do you, how do you address some of their concerns or preempt them? Uh, I have yeah. found to be a good strategy when you can get that uh, that deep into where they are or what they want. Um, what about less is more? I find that is particularly challenging as to what you keep and what you take out when you're giving mm -hmm. a presentation. I know this is highly contextual. What are some of your strategies to really walk the talk with your clients when you're writing their speeches or working with them or even on your own? Because one thing mm -hmm. I've noticed about your TEDx talks is you're, there's not one wasted word. You come in, you exemplify the points you're making but in each talk i wasn't being judgmental i just noticed as a speaker everything is prepared meticulously thank you jamie that's very kind of you to say i i think um in terms of how i work it in practice the first thing is really trying to be laser sharp on what is the title of the speech and that is is often the hardest thing to get right. And so because you'll start with maybe 50 ideas for things you need to say in this speech, things you should say. And it's like, let's just get one thing right. What's the title of the speech? And if you can get everyone to agree to that, then you just start building out from that. I love writing speeches that are just like about one word. You know, today this today I want to talk to you about one word, just one word only, no more, no less. And then you're like, ambition, responsibility, courage, creativity, curiosity, compassion, res resilience, you know, <laughs> honesty, humility, whatever the hell it is. And then you build out for, from there. So first, that simplicity of message, um, I think that's what I mean by less is more. The the other thing is 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 the point that you're alluding, alluding to in in my TEDx talks. Um, don't don't waste words. And I think that's then when you get to the very end of the speech writing process, and you're just like, can I say this faster? <laughs> can I say it faster? Just keep challenging yourself, and you know you're like there with a meat cleaver, just. Wasted words all over the place. Generally, when I get sent um, speeches that principals have written without professional help, I, I can easily show them how it could have been. They could have said the, exactly the same stuff, but in a third the, the words, you know, 33% of the, of the word space, just by being brutal in your editing. And you, may, and you mentioned your process 
quickly how you how you got there. How do you start writing a speech? I'm not talking about delivering the speech. I'm talking about what is your process if I'm not saying you, I maybe I'm speaking for a friend, maybe it's me. Uh, sometimes mm. you, I procrastinate on delivering on getting my thoughts down on paper for a new talk or a presentation coming up. Could you speak to the leaders on this call who say they have 48 hours where they've been asked to give a presentation? They're feeling a bit overwhelmed between their professional life, their personal life. They need to make time to write this speech. Where do they mm. start? Right. Well, so after you've got your title, then you want to get a good structure for the speech. So um, just scribble this down. <laughs> um, listening CEOs. This is, is my best off the shelf one. And so you've got some icebreakers, whether that's a joke or just, you know, thanks or whatever it is. But then you get to the exposition of the theme. So today I'm going to be talking about this. Then you have a bit of a narrative history section. Just walk people through and your narrative history uh, might go back five years, it might go back 5,000 years, but you have a narrative history just that brings us up to the present day. Then step three, you address the questions. What are the questions we are facing today? You know, do we invest more or less? Do we grow or do we protect? You know, all of these questions that you might be uh, thinking. Then step four, you set out your argument. This is what we're going to do. So that's the body of the speech. Generally, you'll group it in three things that you're looking to do. Then step five, you'll have a little refutation section where you'll dismantle your opponent's um, view. So to those that say, and then step six, you have a roaring peroration, a climax where everything ends positive in the future and sending everyone out with a song in their hearts. Beautiful. <laughs> I'd love to switch gears about halfway through our talk with a uh, speed round. So I ask you a question. Mm. If you have an answer, this is meant to be really quick and on your feet and you're a master of improvisation, uh, no pressure from what I've seen in your talks. So uh, if you're game, we'll jump in. Let's do it. Favorite speech. Johnny Cochran in the OJ Simpson trial. Favorite <laughs> line from that talk. If it doesn't fit, you must acquit. Why is why was that so effective? Well, it, it's a, a contrast and it, it rhymes. And studies have shown we're more likely to believe something is true if it rhymes. Um, so genius. Your greatest strength as a speechwriter. Creativity. The one area that you are constantly improving. Um, my physical health. <laughs> Your physical health. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I'm um, addicted to running and exercise and swimming. What are on that note? What are what are two or three ways that a someone who has a speech coming up could prepare physically for that talk so that they're at their best? Positive visualization. I'm such a big fan of positive visualization. Um, so many people have do negative visualization when it comes to their speeches. They will lie in bed at three o'clock in the morning 
and uh, imagine all the things that could possibly go wrong. And that is the worst thing you can possibly do. You know, so positive visualization in the days, maybe the weeks building up to a talk, just when you go to bed at night, lie there, close your eyes, listen to your heartbeat, listen to your breathing, relax, and then imagine yourself on that stage. Imagine yourself feeling great. Imagine yourself being re relaxed and making people laugh and all of that. That is the most important tip that I could give people. It really surprised me actually, the amount of very, very senior people in politics and business who still suffer from nerves in the build up to a big speech or a big presentation. Um, and particularly since pandemic, I think when people got out of practice, um, but positive visualization is your way out of that. That's so helpful. What's one thing you've seen CEOs that maybe not that you've worked with, but overall do that they should avoid doing or be more aware of when they give talks? One thing mixed metaphors, avoid. mixed metaphors. Um, it's the curse of people like your McKinsey's and your Accentures and all of that. That business people will habitually talk about um, moving forward, being on a path, whilst also laying down the foundations and fighting and raising the bar. And um, oh my God! And it it turns audiences off when an audience hears a speaker speaking in mixed metaphors. There, it creates so much cognitive dissonance for them. They're trying to create images of what the speaker is saying, but because you're talking about paths and foundations and battles and winning and you know all of this, they can't visualize it. So they will, they'll fall out. Get yourself a clear metaphorical narrative. Visualize what is your company, you know, as metaphorically. Is it a person? If so, what kind of person is it? What's it going through at the moment? Where's it trying to get to? Who's helping? Who's standing in its path? What's the terrain like? What's the climate like? Ask some of those questions and then create a new compelling metaphorical narrative that will pull people along. Okay. That's our speed round and it segues beautifully into, can you talk a little bit about the power and importance of metaphor and storytelling in creating speeches today? Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, I, I love looking at what's coming out of neuroscience as it relates to communication. And there's been some really fascinating stuff coming out as it relates both to uh, metaphor and as it relates to the power of storytelling. So when people are listening to mixed metaphors, as I said, people are just going to tune out. And if you looked at their brain activity levels, then you would probably find not an awful lot going on. Conversely, when people are listening to a story, the whole of their brain lights up and they start experiencing what the storyteller is describing. So as the storyteller describes, you know, uh, walking onto a wet marble floor and then slipping, you know, and landing crash on their back, then the person listening to that is going to imagine that that is precisely what's um, happening to them. And so storytelling is a great way to get people really, really engaged. And I mean, like proper storytelling, take people to a proper pinpointed, a moment in time, you know, so that close your eyes, visualize it, take me back there. You know, what could you see? What could you hear? What could you feel? 
that's your story you know not a kind of abstract version of what it was so stories really really powerful and um, neuroscience also shows about the power of metaphor that neuroscientists have found that when we use metaphorical language like we've got to get a grip on this or we're chewing over this problem the part of our brain that deals with gripping and chewing actually starts lighting up so this is a great way again to create real well mental and physical engagement from people whilst you're whilst you're making your speech now in terms of storytelling you mentioned earlier it's not always best practice to jump in with the strategic aim or that analytical piece that mm. incorporating some emotion early on, whether it's in the form of a joke or a powerful question, or you've talked about three breathless sentences in terms of grabbing the audience. Mm. We haven't talked about that yet, but we might a little bit later. My mm. question is in speaking with business groups with these groups, and it, it's it's a generalization, but I tend it tends to be more true than not. They're highly analytical. They're skeptical. They'll let you in once they trust you. Do you, with these type of groups, always, and always is a loaded term, most of the time, start with a story or a joke? Or do you sometimes start with a hard-hitting piece of what the outcomes are, what value they'll gain, and maybe give them an example or two before you get into the emotion. Well, you can do that. I mean, you know, it's um, it's horses for courses. That kind of approach could well speak to people's instincts. If you're offering them a reward, that speaks to our instincts, that activates the um, reward section. But I don't think business people are that analytical, to be honest with you. <laughs> um, I, I think we're all, all of us human beings first and foremost, before we are anything else, before we're business people or um, or speechwriters or whatever else we're, we're, we're doing. And once someone's made you laugh, once someone's told you a good gag, you, you're liking them, you're trusting them, and they seem like you and they seem like other people that you like. So the chances are you're going to go with them uh, from that point on. And at that point, you know, the analysis... Um, it, it kind of falls apart. So I, I would always, I would always advocate, you know, go in, go, just go in for the, the human beginnings, just st start human. And that can take many different forms. It could be a joke. It could be a story. It could be um, a quote from someone you love, or it, it could be just, you know, um, a funny comment about someone in the audience, you know, but, but be human. Most importantly, well, one thing I think that turns us all off is when we see people beginning their presentation like they're robots, like they're corporate drones. You know, that is just instantly a cue to us. Right, okay, I'm going to sit this one out. What am I going to think about in this session? I know I'll start thinking about my next holiday. Yeah, I'm going to be lying on the beach. Now I'm somewhere happy. You know, forget your PowerPoint presentation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I hear you. And you've what you've won me over if I was on the fence on that point. Uh, <laughs> earlier, we talked about what hasn't changed. That's how we started this whole conversation. We talked about mm. Aristotle and in the history of speech writing. What has changed in speech writing? And for the leaders on this call, how might they implement some of those tools or strategies to speak with their audiences today? Well, I think obviously the big change is technological and in particular social media. 
that when I started uh, writing speeches, they the speech was given, and then the only way you could get a long life for a speech was if you either printed the whole thing off or you got a quote in, in the newspaper. Of course, now it's completely changed. And we're now spending so much more of our time online. We're spending more than half our day looking at one screen or another. So, I mean, if your leaders are not doing TikTok-style um, videos to their audiences, I, I would challenge them. Why not? You know, this is the way that people are used to getting information now, whether, you know, must be 90% of people are, are either on YouTube or, or Instagram or, or TikTok on one of those channels. So it's completely natural to expect your CEO to be speaking to you in that kind of way and just get that kind of friendly, you know, like the good TikTokers do. Oh, I'm just about to visit one of our shops up in the north of England or wherever it is. And look, isn't this fantastic? And just doing it informally in that kind of way. That's one of the things that I'm challenging all of my uh, CEO clients to do. Not all of them are picking up and, and grabbing it. Some of them are still very much of the view this is one for the kids. Um, but no, no harm in being seen with the kids. <laughs> well, and uh, I don't know how many people um, on our call, I don't know if our audience is on TikTok, but your TikTok channel, I found early on since you started it, was remarkable at giving practical advice within that short 30 seconds to minute and a half framework that could be elongated into a, a longer speech. As we wrap up over the next 13 minutes or so, could we talk about a few of those strategies? And I think we might have touched mm -hmm. on several of them. I don't think there's any harm in a little bit of repetition. What are some of those strategies that could be easily implementable in speeches, mm. in workshops, in presentations within a corporate environment, um, like this, like the type of tips that you offer on TikTok, on Instagram, on Facebook, and more? Yeah, 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 yeah. It was my daughter who got me onto TikTok. Actually, my eldest daughter, Lottie. She. It was a, a lockdown. It was a lockdown thing, and the. Um, yeah, I, I, I need to, I, I've been bad myself, actually. I've not done a TikTok for a long while. But I tell you, let me give it one that I would love to share with anyone watching now is, is the old rhetorical devices. So these are rhetorical devices. These are tricks that have been around since ancient Rome, ancient Greece, ways of structuring sentences to create particular effects with your audience. And once you've got this, you can create a super powerful speech, super fast, no time whatsoever. And I'll challenge you, Jamie, you can throw me an issue at the end of it and I'll improvise for you a speech on the spot. Um, or for anyone it. who wants to type one in, I don't know whether or not your listeners, viewers can type in actually, but I'll tell you, you know, I don't care where it comes from, but I'll improvise one. Perfect. So there were, there were, there are also six steps to this technique. Right. Okay. You ready? starts like this three breathless sentences how do you feel distressed anxious nervous that's because it sounds like i'm hyperventilating sounds urgent like that coronavirus cost of living crisis conflict in ukraine 
grabs people in right from the start. That's where we start, three breathless sentences. Then two, three repetitive sentences. Three sentences where we repeat the opening clause because repetition makes us sound strong. Repetition makes us sound stable. Repetition makes us sound sincere. This is what Churchill did with his, we will fight them on the beaches, we will fight them on the landing grounds, we will fight them on the fields and in the streets. Then number three, let's have three contrasting sentences, three sentences which sound balanced. We look into the future, not the past. Working together, not against one another. Thinking about what we can do, not what we can't. Now you can make this even more powerful if you add in alliteration. So this is about passion, not profit, about meaning, not money, and about a cause, not cash. And so like that. Now that kind of contrast is like the JFK asks, not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. Then step number four, let's have a metaphor. A metaphor is where we create an image. We plant an image in people's mind that we hope will take root and become embedded and grow, but you don't want to get carried away with your metaphor. If you could taste thick in your mouth while you're saying it, you've gone too far. And you need to save room for number five, which is exaggeration, because we're working night and day and we're giving everything that we've got. And I know that if everything pulls, everyone pulls together, anything is truly possible. And then six, end with rhyme. Rhyme, why? Because it doesn't cost a dime and it works every time. And that's it, the six steps. I love that. So I'm going to, I'm going to summarize three breathless sentences. So what you just did shared was powerful, provocative, and adding value to business owners across the country. Two, three repetitive sentences. Three, three contrasts or opposites. Four, metaphor. Five, three exaggerated statements. And five, no, six is rhyme. You got Perfect. it. That's it. Amazing. So I would love to shift into our finale uh, with taking your lead, which I was hoping we would get to in the time we have left, is... I'm going to ask the audience, and I have the audience here on, on the phone. I'm going to look and ask anyone listening. Uh, I think James. James is a chair in Calgary. If he's listening, he said he might be on. Or Dan, who is a, a friend of mine and also a terrific speaker in the U.S. We just had coffee in Boston. I'm going to ask you gentlemen or whoever is saying to throw out a topic, a challenge, and you only got 30 seconds or less because we're live and we're going to have Simon take some and some of those components of effective communication and speech writing and weave them in to a for or against. We'll determine in a minute that particular topic. So I'm waiting and I'll continue talking until I see a topic thrown out by one of our the people on our call. And if I don't, I'll improvise and I will come up with one. But I would love the audience participation because audience participation is always welcome in a talk In if you can integrate it in. So I'm looking down. That's why I'm looking down here. Um, okay. Uh, we'll give it another 10 seconds and then we will come up with one ourselves. And... Mark Bowden, our mutual friend, said, whenever you're waiting for a question, keep talking your way through it, which I didn't do before. <laughs> Don't let it be silent. So I'm walking my talk of our mutual friend, Mark Bowden. Uh, okay, so uh, we have one. 
we, we got a lot now. We got a lot now from Joey, from Keith, from others. Okay. I'm going to actually go with, with Keith's, uh, which is why vision is crucial in a company, why vision is crucial for a company. And I'm going to say, let's pro the pro for why vision is crucial for a company mm -hmm. today. And I'm going to be quiet for a moment, give you a chance to gather your thoughts. And we're going to see what Simon comes up with in just a two to three minute version of a talk on that subject. Who are we? What are we? Where are we going? Human beings have pondered these questions for tens of thousands of years. Human beings have needed a sense of calling. Human beings have needed something and someone to follow. Yet so often in business, instead of giving people direction, we leave them directionless. Instead of give the, giving them a cause, we spend them spinning around with confusing, conflicting advice. And in place of these voids, it's for leaders to step up and offer a vision. And this is what great leaders have done through the ages. They have always offered a North Star, which people can then walk towards. And as they navigate the difficulties in their path, as they experience the tremors in the landscape, as we go through financial storms, like the one we're going through at the moment, at least we are in no doubt where it is that we are headed. We can see clearly the path ahead. And if we can't, your business is dead. Wow. Standing ovation. And I'm standing, so it's even easier. <laughs> it, it's a party trick, you know, but there's, um, I, I mean, there's, there, there's, there's, there's something there. There's something there. I'm not sure if it's any good, but there's definitely something there. There were words there that could be improved. <laughs> and we did end up getting in several uh, excellent topics from James Frail and Dan, Dan Kelsden and, and Joey uh, Crampton. Uh, however, one of the topics we spoke about was less is more. So we want to make sure we finish on time. And so on behalf of Tech Canada, uh, in our community, I would like to say thank you. Uh, we really appreciate you taking the time. It's late where you are in Istanbul. For those of you who came a little bit later, uh, probably close to 10 o'clock at night. And uh, I'm sure you've had a packed day with your client. Your client's not with you, as we talked about. And this was powerful. This was provocative. This was practical in how leaders regardless of who you lead or the audiences you speak to, this can help you reach your audiences on an emotional level, on a logical level, on a credibility level to make sure your message is heard by those who need to hear it. Simon, thanks for being with us today. Thank you so much, Jamie. And thank you everyone for listening. And if any of you want to get me out and my family, you know, obviously to Canada at any point, I would love that. I've been over a couple of times in the last six months to Vancouver and Toronto and would love a return trip. So on Simon, where, where can we reach you? 
I'm, I'm if, Google me and you'll get me. I'm on TikTok, the Speechwriter One. I'm on LinkedIn, connected with you there, obviously, Jamie. And uh, my email address is simon at bespokespeeches.com. Wonderful. So please reach out to Simon. He is literally the best in the world at what he does. And he is ideal for our audience. And on that note, this is the Leadership Standard. Don't forget to subscribe so that you can be the first to hear when this LinkedIn Live goes to our podcast coming up shortly. Thanks and have a good day.